Now that we're in the Advent or Christmas season, we're going to take a look at Matthew's gospel, talking about the events that took place after Jesus' birth. It's interesting that in our culture, we have a number of traditions. Some of those traditions aren't exactly what the scriptures say. So we're going to take a look at that. But what I'm going to more take a look at is the importance, not of whether the tradition is right or wrong, but the most important aspect of that narrative that Matthew talks about. How these magi, these wise men, come to see Jesus and why. Come and listen to it. Good morning. As I frequently say before we start our messages is that if you have your Bible, and you should, I'm going to have you turn to a different gospel today. I want you to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to take a look at what were some events around after Jesus' birth and the consequences of it. And so in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, it says this, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so we have this Magi, which some people call wise men, and others will call them astrologers or astronomers. They have come from the east. It doesn't tell us exactly where from the east that they are, but they're east of Jerusalem. My understanding and my belief that they're probably from the area that was once known as Babylonia or now current day Iran and uh, Iraq. And so they travel from, from the east to Jerusalem uh, to, to come to see this king of the Jews. Now, the reason why some people say, well, they came because of astrology and whatever, that this star appeared and there were astrologers and they uh, somehow determined that it was uh, a Messiah birth. I think the reason that they came from the Babylonian area and why they were wise men is because they had in their library the book that we call Daniel. And in Daniel, it talks about a Messiah being born after a period of centuries after King Cyrus ordered the rebuilding of the temple. And I think in combination of that understanding and the star that appears, they then determine as wise men, as magi, that there is a Messiah that has been born. Not simply a king, but a Messiah. Now, a few years ago, I'm not quite sure exactly how long ago, um, eight, ten years ago, there was a potential king that was born in England. It was so important to me that I don't recall when it happened. And I certainly didn't travel to England to celebrate this potential king's birth because he's going to be king one day, perhaps, over England. He's not going to be my king. But these magi, these wise men, understand through the, again, my belief, understanding that from the book of Daniel, the Messiah would appear, that they have come to see him, and they've traveled from the east. And we're going to see that during those days, the best way to travel would be in caravan. 
because there were thieves and robbers and people who would try to uh, steal your things and even take your life. And so they would travel in these caravans, but even that was a, uh, a trip that was not safe. And especially as we will see that they have quite expensive assets that they're bringing with them. And so there's this, this fear that they could not only lose their possessions, but even their life. But they travel anyway to see this king of the Jews. And so they said they've traveled to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now I suspect the reason Herod was troubled was because Herod was given the right and title to be king over this area. Now Herod was not a Jew. Herod was an Edomian, and so he was, if you will, a foreigner ruling as king over the Judea and, and Galilee area because Rome had given him that right that title. And so he was troubled because now there's a king who has been born who's going to take away potentially his kingdom. A Roman emperor said that it was better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son because Herod was so jealous of his reign that he even had his sons killed so that they could not take his throne. And so he's troubled and concerned because here's this king of the Jews who's shown up. He's not Jewish, and he's concerned that now he may be overthrown. And then we have also Jerusalem trouble because the Romans may be upset with this new king and may try to uh, have a stronger hand in their occupation or may even eliminate them. So there's this great concern. But I also find it ironic that here's this king of the Jews who's not Jewish, and we have the residents of Jerusalem who are surprised and troubled at the Messiah's birth when men from a foreign land, again, perhaps Babylonian area, come to worship this new king. They're informed as to this Messiah, but his people aren't. So gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, basically the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And again, I think it's ironic that for a people who've been looking for and waiting for a Messiah, and for a people who have experienced a number of false messiahs and false prophets, that they would have to go to their library to find out where the Messiah would be born. You would think that that would be something that they would know offhand because, again, they're looking for this Messiah. And when Jesus later is in his ministry, they're looking for him to overthrow the rule of Rome and to establish their own kingdom. But they're uninformed, not only of when the Messiah might be born, as dictated in the book of Daniel, but in this passage as well, that they're not sure where the Messiah is to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And then they quote the, the, the prophet saying, 
And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so we have this, this sense that, that they now know when the Messiah is to arrive, even though they didn't bother figuring it out in the scriptures, these Gentiles, if you will, come to them and said, guess what, guys? Your king has been born. We're assuming that since he's the king of the Jews, the Messiah, he would be born in the capital and probably in the palace where Herod would be. But no. And again, that they don't even have him not being there. They don't know when the Messiah was born, even though he was, and they didn't know where. And so, uh, unfortunately, sometimes when you expect religious people to know things, they don't. But the advantage of, of the scriptures, if God says something, you can find it. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. So he wanted to know when it was. So if it was, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, this threat would be immediate. If it was, and as we will see about a couple years ago, uh, then it's not quite immediate. Uh, it's a child. And he's not worried so much about the immediacy. But I find it interesting. He tells them secretly the plan. When did the star appear? And so he finds out from them. And he said, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship. And so he says, you've come to worship the Messiah. Go find out where he is in Bethlehem, and then let me, and I'll go worship him. Again, I find it ironic, because here's these Gentiles who have come from the east and who have traveled a considerable way to get to Jerusalem, and then they're now going to go a few more miles to the southwest uh, to Bethlehem, but you would think if Herod was honest about his question, that he would say, hey, guess what? Do you mind if I go with you? Because I want to worship him. But that's not his plan. He has a plan different than worshiping this new Messiah. And after the king, after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, this is where a lot of argument in astrology and astronomy and people try to figure out the natural ways that this happens. And so there are those back many, many years ago who argued, and, and you'll hear this argument today, that it was a conjoining of a number of planets which made a, a bright appearing of a star in the sky and that's what they saw problem. It moved. So it can't be that planetary situation because it's going to move to the point that it's going to stand over where the child is. So the other explanation is, well, it's not planets that align. It's a comet. Because, again, we're trying to, to justify these events on natural principles. The problem with that is comets don't stop. 
they may move from Jerusalem, let's say, over to where the child is, but then it wouldn't stop. But this statement says that the, that the star stopped over where the child is. So let me tell you what I am certain is the answer to this question. It was a star, and it moved so that they might crack it, and then it stood over where the child lay. And why am I confident of that assertion? Because the God that I worship, the God of the scriptures, spoke the universe into existence. He created the stars, and not only did he create the stars, he created them that they might give him glory. And so I am convinced that God did one of a couple of things. He either took a star that he already had created. He said, I'm going to give you a job, star. I want you to inform the world, but apparently the only wise men, magi, see it. And I want you to move to where they can see the star and move to where the Messiah is. And then I want you to stop exactly over the house, the place that the child is. And I figure if a God who can create things out of nothing, he can rule the heavens and the earth. And so I believe it's a star. And that this star answered to and followed the commands of the Lord God. And so I don't think it was an alignment of conjoining planets. I don't think it was a comet. I am convinced that God who orders the universe, ordered this star. And so it gave these magi directions. It was a better than a GPS. They were able to find exactly where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They had finally found where it was that they were seeking. They traveled far from the east to Jerusalem only to be disappointed that the Messiah wasn't there. So then they were told that the Messiah was in Bethlehem. But even though Bethlehem is a small town, it's hard to find a particular child in a particular community when you don't know where he is. And so God gives them this directions and they find the place where the child is. And they rejoice because their traveling now is over. They're coming to do exactly what it was that they left their home for. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. I want to stop there. We talked about tradition. Well, one of the traditions that you'll see is the nativity scene. And in the nativity scene, typically you'll see the, the baby Jesus in a manger with straw and his mother Mary and Joseph, the, the guardian, and then the shepherds around. And you'll see a cow and a sheep, and they're all in a stable. Almost all nativity scenes also have three wise men. The scriptures clearly say here that they didn't go to the stable below the inn. They went into a house. So 
So what I do with our nativity set is I, when I set it up, and this year we didn't, but when I set it up, I put all the, the typical stuff in the, in the area. Then I take the, the wise men and I put them somewhere else because they're traveling when Jesus is born. We're going to find later that, that it was about two years that they saw the star. So when they enter the house, they're not entering to see baby Jesus. They're probably entering to see toddler Jesus. But they're not at the manger scene. But our tradition says otherwise, and people always follow tradition rather than the scriptures. And again, I don't have any problem with traditions when traditions are good and accurate. And so they go into the house, which is the second thing that bothers me. Because you'll have those who have an agenda who claim to be believers. And you will hear them say, Jesus was homeless. Jesus wasn't homeless. His mother and his guardian father lived in a town and God was so sovereign that he had the emperor of Rome decide that he wanted to count the number of people he had in his empire. And he didn't want to do it by, which would seem to me the most simple way, go to your taxing authority, go to the tax man, and tell them you're here. And you can count ahead when they're paying taxes. But that's not what God wanted. Because Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. So Joseph and Mary, being descendants of David, had to travel to their ancestral home, which was Bethlehem. You see, God moved them where he wanted them to be because he's sovereign. But he, they weren't homeless when they left. And the only reason that they had to, Jesus was born in a stable was because there were so many people in Bethlehem, they didn't have an Airbnb. They didn't have uh, various motels. They were all full. And so the only place that they could go was below the inn in the stable area. But as we see here, when the Magi get here, they enter a house. Later in Jesus's uh, life, they'll move to Egypt, and then they'll move to Nazareth. And each time, he lives in a home. The only reason that then they would say, because Jesus says, I have nowhere to live, place my head, is because he was an itinerant preacher. He didn't wait for people to come to him to preach. He went out to them. And therefore, because he had to go to Capernaum and Judea and even through uh, various places, he was on the move. It wasn't because he was homeless. But people try to get you, that they think that because Jesus is homeless, that we might, he can then identify with us and he gets us. Jesus didn't come to get us. Jesus came to save us. Jesus made us. Jesus understands us. It's not his made up circumstances which causes us to be able to relate to us. It's because he's God and he understands us. 
because he created us. He came here to save us. And so I get less frustrated with traditions that are more secular than people who claim to know the scriptures and then because of their agenda, twist it. So they come into the house. And it says, and they fell to the ground and worshiped. They worshiped. Here's this toddler that they worship because it's not his age, not his seemingly infancy, but because he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They've come to worship him. So they fall to the ground and worship. They place their status as wise men below the status of a toddler because they know by the scriptures who he is. They worship by falling on the ground. Then after doing that, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Here's another tradition. You always hear about it's three wise men. Nowhere in the scriptures does it ever say that it's three. It does say that there's three types of gifts. There's a gold gift, there's a frankincense gift, and there's a myrrh gift. Now, there has to be at least two of them because it talks about they. So that's plural. Since it's they, it has to be more than one. So two or more wise men, magi, come into the house, fall on the ground and worship him, and then they present him with gifts. It could have been six guys. It could have been ten guys. It could have been four gifts of gold, three gifts of frankincense, and the rest of myrrh. It just simply says these are the types of gifts that they gave to him. So first overall about the gifts, they're all expensive. Even today, gold is expensive per ounce. It's something that you would present to a king. Kind of a prophecy, if you will. They also present him a gift of frankincense. It's, it's a very costly thing that is used in the temple as they present the prayers of the priests or the people. So it's used as a priestly offering and again identifying that Jesus is not only king, but he's priest. And the third type of gift was myrrh. Again, a very costly gift. And it was generally used for embalming so that the body might not stink while you were preparing it and getting it ready for burial. But that wasn't the only use, but that was one of the more. And again, it was the kind of the idea that Jesus, as a prophecy, would die and he would need this at some point in his ministry. But each of these gifts are expensive. Reminds me that when David 
wanted to purchase ground to build a temple, which God prohibited him from building. The owner of the property said, you can have it. And David said, I will not give an offering to the Lord that costs me nothing. And so these Gentiles, these wise men, as a part of their worship to God, the Messiah, they present out of their treasures, out of whatever, their this expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But again, the point of this passage is to not argue about whether tradition is right or tradition is wrong and how many wise men and whatever. It's the point is, is that having traveled to see the Messiah, they weren't thought. They thought he was in Jerusalem. They could have said, well, he's not here. We'll turn around and go home. They didn't. They continued their search. And God assisted them in their search by presenting the star from the east and then traveling it so that it might rest over the house so that they might find the child they were looking for so that they might worship him. Indeed, both by placing their bodily positions below Jesus, but also offering to him expensive gifts. Today, there are people, much like who were in Jerusalem that day, who had no idea that Jesus had been born. They were startled by the fact that he was. They were troubled. There was governmental opposition. Yet, they were undeterred. And I believe that if you truly seek God, He'll make a way for you to find Him. And having found Him, that you might worship now, you may not be able to afford gold and frankincense and myrrh. Most of us can't. But what you do have, your life, your heart, your soul, your innermost being, that you can offer to him. And to be like David, even though my life is not of that great value, I will not offer him nothing that costs me nothing. And so I will offer him my life in worship, dedication. Because he is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords. And these magi are a perfect representation of the world coming and bowing before him.
because the scripture says that there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. These magi weren't forced to do it. They sought him. They found him. They worshiped him. And they presented offerings. The spirit of Christmas is not so much giving gifts. The spirit of Christmas is and ought to be worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, who is that, not just to the Jews only, but to the Gentiles. And these Gentiles have shown us the way. But that's not the end of the story. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You see, Herod did not plan to worship this Messiah. He planned to kill him because he didn't want any competition for his rule and his reign. which is incredible that people are so desirous of power that they would be willing to sacrifice the Messiah. But God is sovereign. And God is in control. And after Herod discovered that the Magi didn't return, he did some despicable and evil things. Things that I can't explain that God will let happen, but he did. But I guess Herod's just dessert was he died a painful and miserable death. Two ends of the spectrum. One having been told who Jesus is, disregarded and wanted to keep his power. The others fell to the ground and worshipped. I guess the question is, which one are you? All God's people said. <laughs>